Adventures. I'm James Schoen. And I'm James Certin. Conversation, expertise and advice on the world and well-being of our teenagers. Hello, today we are with Simon Blake from Mental Health First Aid. Hello. Hi, thank you very much for uh, asking me to talk to you. It's a pleasure. We'd love to hear about the organisation that you work for. Could you just tell us a little bit? Sure. So it's actually Mental Health First Aid England. (laughs) Uh, We're a social enterprise uh, with a vision to improve mental health of the nation, but more specifically, a a mission which is to train one in 10 of the adult population in mental health uh, First Aid England skills, which is really about trying to create a culture and a skill base in which people believe that we've got to ensure that mental health is talked about properly and that we've got the skills and abilities to uh, look after our own mental health but also support mental health and well-being of other people as well. So it's two-pronged. You're looking uh, at managing your own mental health but also being able to identify and see things in other people and helping them. Absolutely. So you know, we uh, self-care, uh, which you know is is obviously really important. What do we do for ourselves in order to look after ourselves? Whether that's you know what we eat, what we drink or don't drink, what we do for exercise, how well we sleep, you know, our hobbies, the things we do to enjoy ourselves is obviously one one part of the equation. But also, you know, what do we do to support each other, um, either it's sort of in families or in communities, but also you know, in workplaces or in professional relationships uh, as well? It's interesting, actually, because we've had many conversations about caring for young people, but it is worth emphasising, based on what you've just said, that actually for parents to be good at looking after their children, they have to be very good at looking after themselves first and foremost. Absolutely. And of course, we grew up in a culture in which, you know, stiff, stiff upper lip, uh, big boys don't cry, uh, you know, that actually, you know, just get on with get on with things. So, you know, we have a history in the UK of not necessarily talking about emotions, not rewarding people asking for help, not necessarily knowing and understanding about um, our bodies. You know, it's confusing, isn't it? There are lots of different messages about what you're supposed to eat, what you're not supposed to eat, how much to sleep, whether you can have one drink or whether there's no drinks. You know, the messages are confusing, but it's all about absolutely looking after ourselves in order that we can look after each other and for parents you know being really acutely aware of our own feelings our own emotions in order that we can help to bring up um, children and young people to be well-rounded mentally able or uh, well supported and uh, and young adults or children who get help if they do have mental health conditions if they do you know, have mental health il- mental illnesses so if we start with self-care there are sorry put simply it is making sure that we're sleeping and what, what do you suggest there is that seven and a half hours a night well unbroken sleep so well so it's interesting isn't it as somebody who sleeps far less than that each night um i guess i'm probably not the best person to talk about the amount of sleep but my granny would have said eight hours work eight hours play eight hours sleep is what you need as a sort of general sort of rule of thumb and different people will function but that sense of winding down for the night you know not having our phones our tablets our whatever else going our green lights until the last moment you know self-care for me is essentially how do you give your brain a rest 
How do you actually wind down? How do you stop yourself thinking about the things which might be causing stress or strain in your life? Is it walking the dog? Is it playing football? Is it flopping out in front of the TV? You know, is it knitting? Is it colouring? Whatever it is that just enables you to to just try and relax and, and unwind. And so the priority list, one is sleep. Number two is... So I would just say, I would say is thinking about your sleep, thinking about what we eat, thinking about alcohol. Uh, you know, that often, you know, if a good day, you have a glass of wine, a bad day, you have a glass of wine. Because it's a day, you have a glass of wine. And of course, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a glass of wine. It's if, the, if it becomes self-medication. So thinking about the amount of alcohol, how much water are you drinking? But also, what is it that makes us feel? feel happy what is it makes us feel joy what is it that enables us to feel good about ourselves so it's not just what you should do but actually what are the things which you feel and enable you to feel relaxed that enable your shoulders to drop at the end of the day it's quite an interesting thing that isn't it that sort of tangible things that help us to feel and help us in a positive way and and things that sort of numb our emotions (laughs) And actually trying to be able to distinguish between the two and work out what's best for us. How, how do we sort of engage young people in that discussion? How do we get them to think about ways that they are positively managing and, and negatively managing themselves? So I guess the best thing that a, a young person ever said to me is that you need a thinking heart and a feeling brain. So you need the ability for your brain and your heart to work together in order that it can guide your emotions. And that was a young person in, I can't remember what the years would equate to now, but 13, 14 years old. You know, that, that's what we're aspiring to, isn't it? That, and of course, we know that um, you know, there are some young people who've experienced trauma or have mental illnesses who engage in behaviours which might include um, self-harming behaviours. But you know, those, they're, they're a particular group of people, children who will need special and particular help but there is also something which is a job for every single child which is how do you help them to develop that emotional literacy and that starts from a really really young age how do you how do you help them to feel joy how do you help them to express when they feel pain how do you help them to understand that sometimes you feel pain and you you have to be able to soothe yourself you know these are all part of the brain's development all part of our social development our psychosocial development lots of parents will know it intuitively you know playing peekaboo stroking the child on their head when they're trying to go to sleep reading them stories in soothing voices but of course sometimes we haven't had those experiences ourselves and so it's difficult to do but you know, YouTube's got loads of it. Google's got loads of it. Yeah, there's Every Mind Matters, you know, which the NHS is a bit about a new app around self-care. There's lots and lots of information. But I think the most important thing is really just recognising that actually we need to, and I use the word need deliberately, because sometimes you know, the, the need and the shoulds are problematic, but we do need to really understand our emotions our thoughts, our feelings, our behaviours, and and nurture a generation that follows us to be better at it than the time that I grew up in the 70s and 80s. I guess when you're thinking specifically about children and, and young people, it's about ensuring that what we're not doing is trying to suppress emotions. You know, that's the, the key, key thing which 
is, is problematic when we're telling people, telling children that what they're feeling is wrong or inadequate. Or Do you think in a way that that has brought more issues to the table that actually now everybody's very quick to say, I feel anxious, I feel, you know, feel stressed, I feel depressed. You know, and it's a language that wasn't really around 15, 20 years ago. So I guess the question... I suppose what I'm asking is, 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 are we dealing with a big cultural problem rather than a real problem? If people are saying they're anxious and they're genuinely anxious, brilliant that they're saying they're anxious. If they're saying they're stressed and they're genuinely feeling stressed, brilliant. And if they are depressed... And, you know, of course, the clinical diagnosis around depression, then brilliant that people are talking about that. I think what we do have is people who don't necessarily have the language for what they're feeling. And some of that is cultural, some of that is gendered, some of that is about um, class. You know, so whether, you know, I grew up probably with a vocabulary which was that's nice and I'm gutted, you know, and, and actually have learnt you know, through a wide period of time that there are nuances somewhere between, you know, the end of the world and the best day ever. There's all sorts of shades of grey and that's what we... So I don't think we're creating a problem when we're really genuinely helping people to really recognise and identify those emotions. And, and the key thing about emotional intelligence and emotional literacy is it's... Um, I'm feeling this, it's, it's doing this, it's having this impact, and the behaviours, which are, are, are the important bits, are going to be helpful. And of course, you know, we can't all be perfect, we are, we are human, but you know, it's that combination of our feelings, our thoughts, guiding our behaviours as positively as possible, and recognising, and I think it's really, really important to recognise that there are stressful moments in our lives there are stressful times and you know that our bodies are alert to stress for very good reasons they're alert to how we're feeling for for very good reasons often and we mustn't try to stop feeling and we mustn't try to stop people talking about how they're feeling it's understanding that to understand you know what what we can do to enable those feelings to guide our behaviors positively and if we're unwell how we get help I suppose what I'm saying is that, you know, now there are so many more cases, aren't there? And the fact that there is now a language where the people are just sort of jumping on board and saying, that's me too. When actually sometimes, you know, I look at young people, and I just think they do need to become a bit more resilient. They do need to bounce back from a tough moment or a bad grade or a being dropped from a team or whatever. It doesn't need to suddenly induce that sense of game over. I need help. So I guess my experience of working with young people is that most do bounce back yeah. and that as adults, I'm not sure that we always give young people enough credit for actually how good they are at dealing with disappointment, with bad experiences and that somehow in the same way that the people the generation above me thought that we were going to hell in a handcart we now look at the next generation. And for me, I, I think it's about cheerleading the, ne you know, the next generation, helping them to find their own way. And, and we so often are, you know, I used to work in sexual health and people say, oh, it's so much more complicated now than it was before. And my point was, 
pre-1967, when you couldn't get access to an abortion, actually that was pretty tough. It's not anybody's job to say whether it's tougher then or tougher now. It's just, you know, hard is hard. And therefore, our job as adults is to facilitate, enable, cheerly, pick up when people get it wrong and, and help people to find their next their next way through. And sometimes that will mean that we don't agree or that we don't, you know, in the same way that my music taste is different than my parents, I think theirs is wrong, they think mine is wrong, neither is wrong. They're just different moments in time. And so, you know, let's let's just see it as really positive that people are thinking more openly and positively about mental health and well-being and if sometimes actually they're saying they're describing their feelings or their experiences in ways which are not quite accurate it'll, it'll be okay yeah. we'll we'll move on <laughs> yeah. yeah what i'm hearing is it's, it's much better for them to be talking about their feelings than suppressing them and actually in in their teenage years they are learning that vocabulary of how to express themselves emotionally and we've got to be uh, give them allowances for getting that wrong sometimes and occasionally they're going to be using language that's not quite appropriate but it's better that they're using some kind of language at all my other question really added to that was we come from a generation where we haven't been taught to express our emotions it strikes me talking to lots and lots of parents that one thing they find very difficult is when their children do express their emotions because we're not used to it. And, you know, the amount of times I've said or heard people say, well, my children would never have said that to me. Right? Sorry, I'd never have said that to my parents and they're saying that to me. How do we, how do we coach parents to absorb that emotional response? You know, and how do we, what advice would you give to parents whose children are emotionally expressing themselves? So I guess the first thing just to say is that there are three blokes sat in a room now, and I don't know how old you are, but we're probably all about the same age talking about this, which is important sort of point in history and time to acknowledge. So let's you know, sort of own that we are, you know, there are a whole group of people, there's a movement of people that believe that this is the right, right thing to do. Second bit is if we always remember what it felt like to be young, then we probably won't go far off because, you know, whether or not we can absolutely associate with the fact that it's an Instagram picture that causes upset or whether it's that somebody's on WhatsApp or Snapchat or something that we don't understand doesn't matter. We can all in one way or another remember the first time that you got left out of a group got dumped you thought you're in love and you know all of those sorts of things so i think probably if if people listen to nothing else my message i guess to a parent would be just try to remember what it felt like to be young and in those moments when you really feel like you don't understand what you're being told in terms of the content try to think about the feeling because our feelings haven't shifted over time they may have shifted in different responses but what advice to parents uh, specifically when children are expressing their emotions probably the most important thing is to just make sure they really understand what they're saying because you know if if a child is using language which we are not familiar with using ourselves or that we're not used to to, to doing you know, what is it that they're actually trying to tell you is probably the most important thing. And different families will have different ways of trying to 
to find that out. But that is probably the number one sort of thing that you've got to do. What is it that they are actually telling you? Do you really understand? And why are they telling you? And what do they want to happen as a result? You know, as long as you know the what and the why, you've got a chance of working out whether you as an adult think that actually the what they want to happen is in their best interests. And that will also depend on whether they're four, eight, 13 or 17 and 18 the next day. Yeah, and I, and I just think it's really important to just say I'm not a parent in, and it's um, sometimes I think easier from a step uh, back. And I probably had some of the most difficult conversations with members of my family because I'm actually the uncle who's willing to go in and say, come on then, talk to us a little bit about that. But I guess it's, it's, it's trying to build that culture in your family home whatever that looks like and you know we, we all come in all sorts of different shapes and and sizes as families of actually getting used to asking how people are feeling and making you know and, and connecting with that and communicating about that and trying to learn um, and and grow from that and as much as sometimes I would like to be back in 1988 you know some of those traditional things which you know meal times together you know it's often not possible for people to have meal times together because work is more complicated and childcare arrangements and multiple jobs and all sorts of things when are the moments when we create those moments of people being able to to talk together and 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 to walk together I love that question do you want me to do anything about this um, because often they're just wanting to vent, aren't they? We've often used the, do you want me to make any suggestions about how you might find your way through this? And sometimes it's like, no, I don't need your <laughs> suggestions. I'm just feeling this. Um, and sometimes they're like, yes, that would be really helpful. And I think that asking questions and asking permission and trying to seek, they're often sort of clarifiers, aren't they, in terms of what actually your child is trying to communicate or what the child is trying to communicate. Yeah, what what would a good outcome look like? You know, obviously you wouldn't say what would a good outcome look like to a four-year-old. I didn't ever actually end up being a counsellor, but I did counsellor training and did lots of the counselling um, hours. And, and we would just use this exercise, is where are you at the moment on a scale of one to ten? And where would it be good enough to get to? And, you know, there were a couple of moments where people would say, I'm currently at a one, and if I can get to a three, that would be brilliant. Yeah, whereas too often we think... If we're not at 10, it's not okay. So finding, finding ways you know, of, of, of doing, doing that and remembering that sometimes we don't want to talk, but actually still you know, reaching out, asking the questions, encouraging is still really important. I know yeah, often parents will be like, yeah, no, they've, they've stopped communicating with me. Keep asking the questions. Keep ensuring that ch your child knows that it doesn't matter how big or small something is. You'd rather that they talk to somebody they trusted and they hope that they trust you than they sit and worried about it themselves. We had an Olympian, gold medalist Olympian, come to our school a while back, and he was saying how you know he didn't have very many gold medal days <laughs> in the four years leading up to the Olympics, and actually, you know, it's quite a good message for us as as a group of people that those ten out of ten days are, are quite rare. Um, but when they come, it's almost what makes them so special. Yeah, and we want to feel the highs and the lows, don't we? Yeah, on the way here, actually, in the cab, I sent a message to my partner. I was like, I'm feeling a bit glum today. And and it is, it's glum. It's not anything big. It's just hmm, not quite Monday. And it's because that this time last week I was on holiday, probably, and that it's a bit colder. 
and that I was late for a couple of things and it's just made me be like oh you know and but it it's it's not a problem but actually just being able to say it out loud you weren't glum because you were about to have a a, a time a session with us too were you <laughs> i was actually thinking the thing which is keeping me from yeah. being a, you know from sticking a five and getting to a 10 is coming to have a conversation with the two of you no it's just but you know it's but it's it's not something which which i don't know it, i just think it's interesting you know how how do we just sometimes just say it I love the idea that you were talking about earlier that, you know, sometimes communicating by text or WhatsApp or sometimes I've actually written letters or postcards to my children. I think it's a very effective way. But sometimes face to face, we don't always express things in the way that we want to. And actually being able to write them or sculpt them and take some time being intentional in how we communicate is, is actually a very effective way of communicating. Absolutely. And, and the... I used to run a course um, for boys about emotional development and boys and young men um, in Sheffield. And one of the participants uh, said um, that they, their uh, teenage son had you know, just stopped really doing communicating. And of course, everyone does the stereotypes. Oh, I've just gone into a grunting stage and you know, all of those sorts of things. Um, and she wrote him a little note every single day with nothing nothing dramatic just you know hope that you have a really good day at school today and that you learn something or i hope you have a golden moment or don't forget that i love you or yeah just literally at one or two sentences every day and when he went to move out to go to university he said showed the shoebox and he was like you've no idea how important these messages were to me and it you've know, given me goosebumps just saying it now yeah. because sometimes you can you know, you don't know what you are putting into you know you, and uh yeah we all need a lift sometimes and she kept on going and she described it you know some days i didn't know what to write some days i didn't know if it was worth writing but something just kept me kept me doing it and most parents you know, just want the best for their children and that can mean wanting life to be perfect but it isn't so how the most perfect thing we can do is help people to manage and cope with the imperfections um, and to ensure that they can get whatever help they need whenever they need it. And sometimes it's just consistently communicating love in whichever way you do that. Yeah, absolutely. Can we go back to what you do, the, the mental health first aid courses, mm. which you would like 10% of the adult population to do? So what sort of percentage do you think you're at at the moment? can tell you exactly what we're at at the moment. So we've got one in 85 of the adult population that have been trained in Mental Health First Aid England skills course at the moment. And the reason that we said one in 10 is, do you know Malcolm Gladwell's tipping point theory? Uh, that idea that you get to a point where so many people are saying, this is crucial, this is vital, that actually then you create the culture change. And so what we're saying is if we can just get that unshakable belief that mental health, that emotional literacy, mental health literacy is, is so important, we'll find ways to do it. You know, there isn't a single way that we will do this, but if we can just create that belief that amongst one in 10 of us, that that will spread and then you get the, the cultural change that we really need. It's a wonderful aspiration. And I think, you know, you talk to most people and most people believe that we're all fundamentally, we are kind uh, and people have that, but they sometimes don't have the ability to communicate that in an effective way. I mean, boringly, I'm an English teacher. A lot Nothing of what... boring about that. <laughs> English is one of my favourite subjects. <laughs> one of the things we're talking about a lot is communication. 
how important is language and the language that we use around mental health? And what advice would you give to parents and anybody in these situations about how they choose their words, you know, as it were? Well, I think the most important thing is that we must stop saying something's crazy, mad, insane, bonkers, nuts about things which are maybe wild, maybe absurd, maybe extreme, maybe obnoxious, maybe heart-wrenching, but they are not mad, crazy or insane. So removing that language and, you know, talk quite often to people who say the fact that people were using words that I felt might be needing to describe me around all sorts of things stopped me talking. Because, you know, if, if people are, are, are using language which feels discriminatory, it feels horrible, then it's not going to open up the conversation. You used the word stigma earlier and words that sort of carry stigma, I guess, as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. They, you know, that, so I think the, the most important bit is for if you're a parent is thinking you don't have to always get it right. But how do we try and think about, you know, how do we try and say things in a way which enable children to know, our, chil our children, that nothing is too big or too small um, that there, if there are things going on with their mind in the same way that if they were going on with their knee, they want them to feel able to talk about it. You know, and, and, and so there are some things which I, you, we must do, which is shift away from a language which is stigmatizing. Is there a right way of doing it? Yeah, the right way of doing it is try, taking a deep breath, trying our best. If we get it wrong, saying sorry starting again but always being really clear that you're open to conversation i think you know i said earlier that you know i worked in sex education for very very um for lot of 20 20 odd years you know and the most important thing was you may uh, not want to talk now but please know that you always can talk and if you don't feel that you can talk to me which i hope you can it's, it's talking about parents here then please do talk to someone you trust. Yeah, that may be your uncle, that may be your aunt, that may be your granny, that may be your best friend, that may be your best friend's parents. I really hope that you will talk to me because you, know, you can and you can trust me to do so. But whatever happens, please don't feel like you can't talk to anyone because you, I never want you to be alone in this, yeah, I think is the key, key bit. I like that idea of, you know, the attempt is important. You can't do it perfectly. Sometimes it's not hard to talk about these things perfectly, but actually engaging and trying that conversation, even if bits go wrong, like you say, is very important. We can say the same thing in different ways, can't we? So I guess the prefix to any conversation would be, I'm saying this because I care. I'm asking you because I'm worried. I'm asking you because I want the best for you. I'm sorry if this feels like a question that you don't want to answer and you don't have to but i'm asking you because i saw x y and z on the television <laughs> you know there there are all sorts of things which yeah we can use and actually tv is a really useful route in yeah there are so many tv programs you know you, uh, there are so many documentaries that you know, even if you watch the news where issues around well-being around mental health are there those are really nice trigger points for for parents. You know, it, it doesn't. You know, if, if watching EastEnders and there is a relevant piece of script, have a conversation about it. And even if uh, your child doesn't want to talk at that point, the fact that you are willing to have the conversation, they'll clock. They'll know that in that moment, 
actually, this is a conversation which mum is willing to have. This is a conversation that my brother's willing to have, whatever, whatever it is. So, yeah, always remembering that sometimes we're speaking and setting a tone against which specific issues may not come. So actually, you know, those, those throwaway comments that can be made will often be also be the things which may stop somebody from having you know, the, uh, speak to um, I'm a, a trustee of Stonewall and you know, quite often you'll speak to um, young LGBT people who said I didn't come out to my parent or I didn't want to tell uh, my aunt because they said this thing once about why not specifically about them yeah, so it's just remembering that we're often listening. We're always understanding. We're always remembering. So, yeah. And that, that I think the culture, you've used the word culture, tone. You've given that description of a mother sending a card every day. I think it's helpful for parents to remember it's a long game. It's not a short game. We often get sort of worked up about things in the moment, but actually parenting is a, is a, is a long, long role, isn't it? The consistency and the tone and the culture is what's ultimately going to be the success. Absolutely. And I guess the major inter, intergenerational shift that is always there is how do we get so that people have conversations across cultures? You know, how does, how does um, grandpa have a conversation? How do the uncles, how do you draw on that collective uh, sort of community knowledge because actually you know if if you're a lone parent or busy parents working parents you know it's tough yeah every (laughs) can't do it on its own on on your own so you know draw on those resources which are are around and also you know i guess the other bit is of course um take an interest in what's happening at school because lots and lots of schools will be doing some good stuff whether that's books that they're reading in english whether that's work that they're doing you know as part of personal social health education taking an interest in that and 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 using that as a springboard for conversations is also you know a really useful i think because you know it's a jigsaw isn't it it's not parents or teachers or grandpa or auntie is everybody you know the tv the instagram the snapchat the teacher the mum the other mum yeah etc will all it will all be part of part of helping it's the old adage isn't it it takes a community to raise a child and uh, it sounds like uh, simon from what you're doing here uh, that you're really trying to create a nation to raise up young children as well. So we wish you all the luck with that. It's a fantastic thing you're doing. Thanks so much for speaking to us today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Hey. You've been listening to Talking Teenagers. Music has been by Rue Paynes. Editing by George Purvis and James Certin. For more information about I Can and I Am Charity, who provide presentations and resources and help build self-confidence in young people, visit their website at icaniam.com. Be a song.